Please be seated. There is something that has always bothered me about the story in today's gospel. We usually refer to this story as the triumphal entry, the moment when Jesus arrived in the city of Jerusalem and entered the city in a way that seemed designed to make a particular point about who he was and what he was there to do. And the thing that has always bothered me about this story, the question that I have always wondered is, why did he do it? Why did he do it knowing that almost everyone around him would misinterpret and misunderstand what he was doing? He had for some time been telling his disciples what was going to happen when they arrived at Jerusalem, and every time he talked about it, they didn't understand him. He had consistently encountered resistance from the Jewish religious leaders, so he had every reason to expect that the Pharisees and the Sadducees would not be impressed by a provocative, dramatic display. I'm sure he was sensitive to the political dimensions of his action. He knew the Romans would not take kindly to anyone entering the city claiming to be any kind of king. And he knew that there were some, perhaps many in Jerusalem, who would expect that what he was doing was signaling the start of some kind of revolution. So it was almost certain everyone would misinterpret and misunderstand what he was doing. And yet, he did it anyway. And the question is, why? Now this is a story that merits close examination, not least because it is one of only a handful of stories that are included in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have accounts of the entry that Jesus makes to Jerusalem. And the similarities and the differences between those accounts can be very illuminating. One thing that you might do this week is to take a look at all four Gospels and to compare how they each describe the events leading up to the arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus. What is each Gospel writer trying to say about the events of this week? Now, in recent years, there have been two proposals that some have suggested help us make sense of what Jesus was doing when he entered Jerusalem the way that he did. The first proposal is that Jesus made a mistake in entering Jerusalem the way that he did. He came to the city expecting that God was about to appoint him, not only as the king of Israel, but as the one who would judge the nations and act as God's regent in the world. In other words, he came to the city expecting the day of the Lord had come, and the world was about to end. And he would be designated as the one who would deliver God's righteous people from the coming calamity. But then, of course, the world didn't end. Jesus ended up not only not being anointed king of Israel, but was instead arrested and crucified. Jesus had misread the signs of the times and made a mistake. And the first Christians, his earliest disciples, had to adjust their expectations about what exactly they thought God had done in him and through him. That's one possible explanation of why Jesus did what he did. 
A second possible reason is that Jesus was engaging in a little bit of political theater. He was mimicking and thereby criticizing a practice that was familiar to both the Jews and the Romans of his day. When Roman military leaders returned victorious from battle, or when Roman magistrates and governors arrived in the cities over which they had authority, they would stage a triumphal entry. There would be a display of majesty, there would be a display of power, there would be soldiers and pomp and circumstance, there would be a display that was intended to make the point to everyone watching that here was someone to whom people owed their respect and their allegiance, or at least their obedience. In fact, some have even suggested that because there was about to be a major Jewish festival in Jerusalem, Passover, it's likely that the Roman procurator of Judea, Pontius Pilate, would have been making a triumphal entry of his own on the other side of the city, opposite the side where Jesus was entering. So Jesus was engaging in a little bit of subversive performance art. <laughs> he was holding up the military and political might of Rome to ridicule staging a bit of a protest designed to turn the hearts and the minds of those in Jerusalem away from their Roman masters. And of course, this gets him into trouble. Both the Roman and the Jewish leaders recognize that Jesus poses a potential threat and they conspire to get rid of him. And then the first Christians had to adjust their expectations about who Jesus was and what God had done in him and through him. That's a second possible explanation for why Jesus did what he did. Now, I don't think you'll be surprised to hear me say that I don't think either of those two proposals has much to offer. Both proposals raise some very interesting questions. Both offer some worthwhile insights into the historical and, context, historical and cultural context of first century Palestine, but both proposals make the same mistake that the people of Jesus' day made when they saw him enter Jerusalem. Some people thought he was deluded by visions of messianic grandeur. They were wrong. Others thought he was there bent on political revolution. They were wrong too. In both the first century and the 21st century, neither of those proposals gives us a reliable account of what is going on in the story of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. So, back to our question. What is he doing and why is he doing it? Especially in light of the fact that he knew so many people would get it wrong. The entry to Jerusalem was an occasion for celebration and thanksgiving. It was a sign that the salvation of God was near. The day of the Lord had indeed come. But the entry to Jerusalem was also an occasion for judgment. It was a sign that God was about to do a new thing, and this new thing would require God's people to reconsider everything they thought they knew about themselves and about the world and about God. Throughout Luke's gospel, especially in the section immediately before today's gospel story, Jesus proclaims a message of salvation and hope. 
He speaks good news to the poor. He proclaims release to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind. He offers deliverance and healing to those who are oppressed in body and in spirit. He preaches a message of peace and reconciliation. He tells everyone who has ears to hear, the kingdom of God has come. And throughout Luke's gospel, Jesus warns that the message he proclaims, the gospel he is preaching, includes a word of judgment as well. The old order is being overturned and those who ignore the signs and who do not heed his word will find themselves subject to judgment. Not because God is going to punish them, but because they themselves will cut themselves off from the salvation of God. But most important of all, more important than the warning, more important than the celebration, was what Jesus was saying about himself. The lines of the covenant between God and his people were being redrawn. Jesus himself was no longer someone who merely pointed to the covenant. Jesus was no longer someone who talked about the covenant or described the covenant. Jesus was himself becoming the covenant of the relationship between God and the world. The one who had come in the name of the Lord had come not just with a message. He was himself the message. The kingdom of God had come not with words, but with a face and with a name, a face that reflected the glory of God and a name that carried the power of God. The people ended up getting a lot more than they bargained for. Jesus did what he did despite the fact he knew people would misunderstand because he knew it was what his father had given him to do. Now, what does all of that have to do with us? Is there a lesson here for us today? The entry of Jesus to the city of Jerusalem shows us what happens every time God draws near to us. Initially, we get very excited, like the crowds, when we think God may be working in our lives, because we think that what that means is that God is about to fulfill our dreams, and that God is about to accommodate himself to our agendas. But if we then find that God is doing something quite different, something we may not have expected, something we may not initially understand, well, then we start to get a little surly. And if we're not careful, we can find ourselves responding in the same way as those who saw Jesus enter Jerusalem. How did they respond? A few days after the entry, a few days after the celebration and the praise and the anticipation, where were the disciples? They had abandoned him. Where were the religious leaders? They had handed him over to the state so they didn't have to get their own hands dirty. What about political leadership? The state couldn't be bothered, so they dealt with him in the most efficient strategy for problem solving that they knew. And the good people of Jerusalem, where were they? They had gone back to their lives, back to their agendas, back to waiting for something that God had already given them. In and through Jesus, God continues to hold out his hand to us, offering salvation and reconciliation. 
And just like many of those who saw Jesus make his entry to the city that day, we continue to resist. We tend to want to see God work in our lives in ways that make sense to us and in ways that accommodate our agendas. And God upsets our agendas not because he wants to disappoint or frustrate or confuse us, but because our agendas for our lives are not nearly as worthwhile as his agenda for our lives. But in order for us to recognize what he offers to us, he has to let our plans, our expectations come to naught. We have to learn to see him, not as we would like to see him or as we wish we could see him, but as he is. And when we do this, we will have learned not only how to see him, but how to see ourselves for who we really are and who he is calling us to be. Now today begins a whole week of reversals. The mercy and the glory of the power of God are increasingly manifest. And as that happens, the ambitions and the agendas of the world are increasingly revealed for what they are. And along the way, we will find that our sense of wisdom, our sense of power, our sense of glory are all quite different from God's. So do not neglect the observances of this week. Walk with Jesus this week so that when he has accomplished everything that his Father gives him to do, then we too will be able to say, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Amen. <laughs>